Veritas Church, good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. We're going to get right to it. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can open to Philippians chapter 2, and we are in the section that we memorized last week. Uh, Jeff had us memorize verse 5. We're in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11 this week. We're doing a four-week series on humility, and last week, Ryan introduced it as, uh, I thought this was insightful, he said, we're, we're not talking to you about who we are, but who we want to be. And Philippians 2 is probably the best description in the Bible of who we want to be. And so has anyone actually memorized this passage in the CSB version? So we, we have been given out the wallpaper. Um, it's on your, you can put it on your phones if you're on the Instagram, uh, that's one thing uh, Jeff didn't mention last week, but if you're on our Instagram, you can search um, and you can find this as wallpaper. It's really cool. Mitchell uh, designed it so it fits perfectly on your phone so you can memorize it. Um, I've been working it this week. Does, has anyone got it? Because I'll give you a mic and you can quote it, right? But the, the irony about it is if you like, yes, I've got it, then are you being humble? I don't know. So maybe that's, I'm just going to assume that everyone's got it memorized but everyone's too humble to like want to come up and do it. Okay, that's, that's what I'm going to assume this morning. Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to try it. I, so here's, here's the passage, um, and I may need help from my phone. But it says this, Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God, something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself. He emptied himself by assuming the form of humanity, taking on the likeness of humanity. He didn't, he didn't uh, assume the form of humanity. He assumed the form of a servant, as I was saying. Uh, <laughs> taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess in heaven and on earth and under the earth, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is what we want. That's what we want to be like. In verse 5, he begins, he says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Literally, he's saying, have the same mind as Christ Jesus. For some of you who are new to the Bible, um, it might be helpful for you to, to read stuff in the message translation um, if, if you're having a hard time understanding what something means. And I, just the message says it simply, think of yourselves the way Jesus thought about himself. Have that same mentality and thinking about your life. So our culture, there's one thing in, in the circles that I go in, people are obsessed with visionary leadership. Do you guys hear people talking about that a lot? Are you, are you a visionary leader? Maybe in your organization or your business or wherever you are, are you a visionary leader? And we think of um, these, these heroic 
people in America like these entrepreneurs and, and dreamers and creative people like Elon Musk and his relentless innovation with Tesla and SpaceX to reimagine cars and, and getting, trying to colonize Mars and figuring out new ways to get there. And we're just fascinated with, with visionary leaders or, or someone like Steve Jobs who, who reimagined phones and personal computers and, and came up with Apple and and that whole thing that's changed our lives. And we think of visionary leaders, they, they lead big, important things. They, they, they lead movements, and there's books written on this, and people aspire to this. Here's the problem. When we get around Jesus, he's the best visionary leader, but he's unlike all of them. And we realize when we get around Jesus that our vision is off. Like visionary leadership has to do with what you see. And what we realize when we get around Jesus is we're seeing the wrong things. Because the things that make us go, wow, make Jesus go, meh. Like, wow, this person is so athletic or so wealthy or look at how hard they worked it. And, and we, we just look at these, these great leaders and we say, wow, that, that woman is amazing or that man is spectacular. And, and we're, we see the world through the wrong lens. Like our vision is off. And we are, as humans, habitually impressed with the wrong things, aren't we? And what we see in Philippians 2 is that we don't need more powerful, dynamic, visionary leaders. You know what we need, church? We need visionary followers, people who see the world differently. They see the world through the lens of Jesus, the way he saw the world, and they follow it. They're visionary leaders or visionary followers. They they see what Jesus saw and they walk into it. They follow the path that he walked. And there are three things that that Paul lays out, this this kind of flow of thought. Verse 6, he says, here's, so big thing is, have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Now, he describes the attitude of Jesus, who Verse 6, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. This is stunning. Jesus existed with God for all eternity. Now, this is where it kind of becomes the litmus test of whether or not you're a cult. So a lot of you college students get this, like you go home and you're excited about Jesus and you want to talk about Jesus and your parents' first thing is like, did you join a cult in college? Uh, well, here's, what a, here's where a cult like diverges from Orthodox Christianity. It it's really comes down to this verse, like who do you say Jesus is? 
Jesus didn't become God. Jesus isn't one of many gods. No, he existed with God, Paul says. But this thing that he did, he, Paul says, so he existed with God. He is God. He's in the form of God. It's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But he did something amazing that's just unthinkable. He emptied himself. What does Paul mean when he emptied himself? Did he let go of being God to become a human? No. He's saying he didn't leave behind a quality with God. What, what he let go of was the benefits of that position. So think about this. What benefits did he let go of when he left heaven and came to earth? Well, I think first and foremost, he left a perfect relationship. Could you imagine if all of your relationships were perfect? Could you imagine letting that go? Uh, think about your, your friendships. Could you imagine your friendships with no selfishness involved, no, like you never fight with your roommates about dishes? Because it's just like you are on the same page perfectly. Everyone keeps their rooms just how you keep their rooms, right? Your room. Like, if, if you like it messy, it's all a mess, right? If you like to wait and let the dishes pile up and then do them all at once, you know, once a month, then it's just perfect for you. You're in heaven. Or if you're like a neat freak and it has to be perfect and no crumbs on the countertops or whatever, it's like, like it's just perfect. Everything's perfect in your relationships. Think about your marriage. Perfect. No arguments, no fighting, just your relationship with your children. Your children never uh, push back on your leadership. They obey perfectly. I mean, just imagine perfection in your relationships. Jesus didn't consider that something to be held onto or exploited. He just let it go. Imagine your connection group with no complainers. Imagine your connection group with no annoying people. Imagine your connection group with no know-it-alls and all of that, just like perfection all around. He left perfect relationships, but he left paradise. I mean, health, wealth, perfect weather, 75 and sunny all the time, whatever it is in heaven, it's like he didn't consider that something to be grasped or exploited. He possessed privilege, but he didn't exploit it. He let it go. Why? Why did he let that go? Jesus looked at his paradise, and then he looked at our poverty. And he went on a mission trip. So we want, the, we want to be visionary followers. And, and Jesus saw all that he had, all of his privilege, 
and he saw our need. And he saw the point of what he had was to meet our need. And this is the point I want you to write down from this. Our, our first point is we reflect on verses 6 and 7 about what Jesus did. Um, visionary followers see the point of privilege. So visionary followers, people who see the world through the lens of Christ and follow that way of thinking, they understand the point of all the things that they've been given. They see the point of privilege. I think that this hits on one of our greatest fears in this life. It's letting go of that thing. That thing. That thing that you worked your whole life for. That sense of walking into work or walking into a room and you matter because you studied this. You're an expert in this thing or you have accomplished this great thing and, and this people are in awe of you or maybe it's just a, a lifestyle that you've attained. Maybe it's, I mean, what, what is the privilege that you have that you don't want to lose? Because if you lose it, your life is going to get uncomfortable and hard and you're going to suffer. But Jesus let it go. All that he had, he let it go. And I see this all the time. I mean, with connection groups, you know, you see a group of people that have really come to love each other, and it's like, becomes an us for no more group, or it's like, oh, we can't let anyone else in because they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna ruin our dynamic, our synergy as a group, and, and it gets hard, and we, we get something, and we just don't want to let it go. We get this friend or or this lover, or this person, or this whatever, and it's like, or this lifestyle, or this wealth, or this whatever it is, and, and, and we, we don't want to let it go. That's our greatest fear, is that one day we'll just have to open our hands and give it up, but yet, that's the kind of people we want to be, is the kind of people who just do what Jesus did. And when we refuse to let it go, something ugly happens to us. Something really bad happens. I want to, uh, yeah, I just was uh, reading, I just finished uh, Ulysses Grant's biography. It's this massive book. I, I don't know how thick it is. I know how long it is because I do audiobooks. It was like 48 hours, and I just finished this thing, and He's one of the greatest generals uh, in American history. He won the Civil War that ended slavery. He was a two-term president during some of the most volatile times in American history, the Reconstruction period, trying to mend the Union. And he was a always duty-first military guy. He was humble. He refused to candidate. He refused to give speeches. Uh, imagine that. The president who refused to get on social media, who refused to talk about themselves ever. I mean, he was just a humble person. 
I know, it's hard to imagine. Um, but he, Grant said memorably, he, he probably had the least desire for the presidency of anyone who ever held it. Like, he didn't even know if he wanted to be the president. But they're like, you have to be. All right. But this, listen to this. Listen to what, um, I'm going to put this on the screen. Listen to what this guy, Ron Chernow, his, his biographer said. Or, yeah, he said, the, the habit of power. Just think about that phrase. The habit of power. Perhaps imperceptibly had acquired an inescapable hold over him, over Grant. As his biographer observed dryly, quote, after he had been long in power, he was not insensible to the sweets of possession and was decidedly averse to relinquishing what he had enjoyed. So think about those phrases, this humble man who acquires power. And once you get used to having power, it's really hard to let go of. And as the, one of his biographers said, the sweets of possession had taken this, this hold of him. You know, the sweets of possession. I have something so good, and, and it's hard to let it go because I have it and I love it. So when I think about the sweets of possession, I think of a kid with a push pop. Have you ever tried to pry a half-eaten push pop out of the hand of a three-year-old? Good luck, right? It's not going to happen. It's like vice grips on a, you know, this, this little kid just like licking the push pop. And you say, here, I, I want to have your push pop now. And, and they, just, they just hold on to it and grip it. And the, the sweets of possession, and the sweeter the possession, the tighter we grip onto it. It's maybe our season of life. It's our lifestyle, it's our loved one, it's our fame, it's our job, it's our kids, it's our power and position and prestige, it's our privilege. What is in your sticky little hand that you least want to let go of? This is what Jesus did. That's the attitude we're supposed to have when we see all that we have is just to let it go. All right, verse 7. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. If you were here um, about a month ago, we were in Matthew 27, we were finishing up, and, and we, we saw that Jesus was on the cross, and one of the great mysteries is why did Jesus let himself be crucified? And remember, he said to his disciples, don't you know that I could call 50,000 angels to come and rescue me? Peter, put away your sword. Like, the God of the universe let himself 
be killed. He became, as Paul says, obedient to death. He obeyed death, even death on a cross. Why did he do that? Why did he die so helplessly? And I think about this, how um, there's, this, there's this great quote. It says, everyone wants to be thought a servant until they're treated like one. Isn't that true? Like, I want you to think of me as a servant, but I don't want you to start treating me like one, right? I, don't want, you, I want you to think of me as just a kind, humble, servant-hearted guy, but I don't want you, like, giving me orders. Tell, hey, Mark, I need you to give me some coffee. Hey, Mark, I need you to do this. I'm going to say, whoa, 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 like, who do you think you are, right? We, we want to be humble and servants on our terms. Like, I don't want you saying to me, um, it's been a great run. Thanks for starting this business. Thanks for um, all your hard work for the company. Uh, it's time for you to be done and get a different job. I, nobody wants that. I, I want to be humble on my terms. I want to step down. It's not, no, you made me step down. This is the marvel of what happened and what Paul's describing about Jesus. Like, he let himself be killed. It wasn't like, get me coffee, Jesus. It wasn't, I mean, they led him to the cross and they killed him. And he let it happen. You know, sometimes you take on humility, but sometimes it takes on you. And it's like against your will and you are being humble. Some of you right now are being humble. And it's not because you're letting it go. It's because you're, it's getting pride out of your hands. And what's so fascinating to me is Jesus didn't start groveling in self-pity and I'm oppressed and I'm, this is so wrong and this is unfair and pouting. No, he he was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and, and it says he was silent. He didn't open his mouth. How did he do that? How did he endure that without claiming his entitlement? Here's, here's how he did it. Paul says he became obedient to the shameful death, even death on a cross. And uh, in Hebrews 12, kind of gives the answer. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. Like we see in Matthew 27, Jesus didn't want to die on the cross. He was crying tears of blood the night before he was crucified. It was terrible. But for the joy set before him, he saw beyond the cross into the next life. He saw the resurrection. He saw the joy. He saw the purpose in his suffering, that it was through his death that that would bring life to all of us. He understood the point of the mission trip. The point of the mission trip was to let it all go, even his own life, 
And so if you're taking notes, point number two, visionary followers see a greater purpose in their suffering. When you look at your trials and tribulations and suffering, you see a greater purpose. And you can even, instead of demanding your rights, you can even let them go. It's amazing what Jesus did and, and Paul saying, I, I, want you to, I, want you to, I want you to think like this. Here's the problem. We devote our lives to not suffering, don't we? I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I run from suffering. I see suffering, even the possibility of being inconvenienced, and I just run from that situation. But Jesus moved toward it. Humility means we don't need to run fearfully from suffering. We can turn and walk boldly toward it because there might be something bigger. There might be something more eternal than our comfort. Last week in Launchpoint, I was with Eric, uh, one of our, Eric Bodine, one of our elders, and, and we were just recounting the story of Veritas from nine years ago. And just took us back. Uh, so it would have been 10 years ago now um, that, that uh, we were deciding, hey, let's, let's leave this place we love. Let's go on a little mission trip to Iowa City. And uh, the, the Bodine family, Eric and Holly, uh, they said, we want to go be a part of that church plant. And so uh, Eric had a great job. He quit his job. They had a house that they loved. They had a community that they loved. And they had four kids, and they sold their house, quit their job. Eric didn't have a job yet. Um, not sure that was a good idea, Eric, but he did it. Uh, and they just packed up and left to help plant Veritas. And they actually did Philippians 2. Like, they just let it all go. And so we had a, we had a friend that had a storage unit, and he graciously offered to let us put all our stuff in the storage unit. I have one picture of our storage unit. Um, this is actually like just part of it. And I think this is actually our stuff. Our stuff and the Boondine stuff was in the same like massive storage unit. And so uh, I went a couple months later. Uh, it was uh, to, to get our stuff. And this next picture is what I found when I walked in. Um, everything was just covered in mold. Um, couches, you can see this next picture. I mean, it was just like everything, see that wet on the concrete? It was a very, uh, it was like the wettest summer in Ames history and like everything was covered with mold. All of our earthly possessions covered with mold. And so I told Holly, uh, I came to this thing and I, I, I think it was like one of our gatherings out in the park or whatever and I was like, hey Holly, all our stuff's covered in mold. And she just kind of walked away and <laughs> I think cried. Um, it's okay to cry when life's terrible, right? It's, it's okay, but they went to, this, they went to the 
warehouse to check out all their stuff. It was covered in mold. And so this next picture is the burn pile. Um, and that's only part of it. It just kept getting bigger and bigger. You can see beds, couches, furniture. Look at Eric on the right. Is that, that's you, right? It's like a, who is that guy? Uh, the younger version of Eric um, there. Um, just smiling, you know, as he's looking at all his earthly possessions in a big burn pile. And as we were telling the story last week, Eric said, every time I see a baptism or hear a story about a changed life, I think to myself, it was worth it. It was worth it. That burn pile was worth it. Watch it burn. Let it go. Because eternal life is at hand. I mean, people's eternal destiny is being changed because we got to light our stuff on fire and it was the most freeing thing to see to see all your stuff just go and to see now, but now, it's like now looking back at it. Like in the moment, that wasn't fun. There's tears, there's... This is what Jesus did. And thank the Lord that he was obedient to death because it means our salvation. So let me just ask the question, what inconvenience and pain are you having to be obedient to right now? Some of you are letting it go, and, and you've got this, um, this privilege, this life, these benefits, and God's calling you to um, get a little uncomfortable and to let some of it go. What is it for you? Um, some of you are, um, it's, yeah, it's being taken out of your hands. And it's like not your choice, but you're having to be obedient to this suffering that's in your life. How could seeing through the lens of eternity change your perspective on your current suffering? Verse 9, for this reason God ex highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Our last point, if you're taking notes, is visionary followers see the prize is worth it. The prize is worth it. There's a statement that will bring unity to every creature that's ever lived in heaven on earth and under the earth. There is a statement that will bring unity to Adolf Hitler and me and Ulysses Grant and every single person that has ever walked this planet. There will be a phrase that brings unity to Satan and the angels. 
there is a moment that will happen when every creature in heaven and on earth will bow to their knees and with their lips they will say, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that will be a humbling moment. Every single mouth will utter those words. Isn't that breathtaking as you think about that? And don't you want to say it now? Like, let me get to worship. I want to say it because I want to humble myself this morning and say, Jesus Christ, you are Lord. You can have it all. Take it all. You are the Lord of heaven and on earth. And for this reason, because he let it go, because he became obedient to death, for eternity we will be in awe of the lamb who was slain. For this reason, for that reason, because he surrendered his life and became obedient to death, God's going to raise him up and exalt him to the highest place. And some of you might be thinking what I was thinking as I read this. Uh, well, that's nice for Jesus. He will get the glory, but I shouldn't expect that for myself. Uh, that's wrong thinking. When I say visionary followers see the prize is worth it, it's not just Jesus that gets glory. It's everyone who follows in that path of humility gets glory. Jesus uses eternal glory and rewards all the time in his teaching to motivate our obedience. Let me give you one quick example. Luke 14, he says, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor, maimed, lame, or blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. Listen to this. Listen to this statement. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When you give up your living room and your home to people who cannot pay you back, they are the least of these in society. And when you bring them into your life, they cannot ever repay you, but you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. This last week, Jeff was sharing about a couple from back home uh, this girl had come to know Christ um, when I was the youth pastor, and it was just this amazing God story, and uh, Samantha, and she, she married um, this guy Shane, and, and they have devoted their lives to um, caring for orphans, and basically they've uh, become foster parents, and they've got a three-year-old and a one-year-old, and they have, uh, they have their own um, biological children. Um, so they've got already a bunch of little kids and toddlers, but they've taken on a three-year-old and a one-year-old, and Shane was just pouring out his heart about how hard it's been. And, and one, the three-year-old at one point was just had his head buried in his shoulder, just crying. And it's almost like Shane is just like absorbing the pain of this little child that's been abandoned. And Jeff encouraged him and just said, Shane, you didn't have to do this, but you did. And you inviting that suffering into your life is living out, verse 5, you have adopted the attitude of Christ Jesus. You didn't have to be inconvenienced by this traumatized, at-risk, <laughs> three-year-old boy, but you have 
moved toward the suffering. You see the pain, you see the need, and instead of running from it, you march toward it. And you let go of your privilege. You see the purpose in your suffering, and you see that the prize is worth it. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Veritas, this is what it means to adopt the attitude of Jesus. This is our calling, to see the world differently, to be visionary followers of Jesus, and to think the way Jesus thought about his life. Let's pray together. Jesus, this seems like such an unattainable goal for us. That's why we need your Holy Spirit to come right now and to convince our selfish, darkened hearts that something like this is a good idea. Jesus, I pray that you will come and and show us those areas where we are refusing to let go of what we have and that you will examine us, that you will do the work that you need to do right now in every person. And it's, we're all in such different places in our spiritual journey. And so I pray that as only you could do, would speak to every individual right now and take this timeless truth and this glorious truth and make it specific to each person in this room and encourage them Lord, that they would just desire to be like Jesus Christ, we pray in your name. Amen.